name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The text that I would like to use for our meditation this morning is taken from the 90th Psalm, which is usually the Psalm read at the end of the year, and from that Psalm, verse 12. Lord, teach us to number our days aright so that we may acquire a heart of wisdom. So far, the word of God. If there is anything the Lord does not have to teach the American people to do, it is to number their days. Sooner or later, everybody you talk to talks about getting older or wanting to get older. You talk to kids, they'd like to be older. You talk to older people, they'd like to be younger. You wonder whether any God made anybody the right age. I talked to a friend of mine the other day and she said she's at the point in life where she's not only lying about her age, but about her children's ages. Now, you know, God made the day. We don't have to worry about that. The sun comes up and it sets, that's the day. God made the year. That's one path of the earth around the sun. We make up hours and we make up calendars and we don't do a very good job of it. Why is it that we have to count from one to 12 twice to get through one day? Unless you're in the military. There they've at least straightened that out. And the calendar is a mess. We need a new one every year. We can't decide how many days a month should have. 30, 31, you gotta remember a hymn. 30 days has September or whatever, and then we have a short one. The names don't make any sense. September means the seventh month. It's the ninth. October, try and teach that once to kids in school. October means the eighth month. It's the tenth. Half the months are named after heathen gods. January is named after the two-faced god. He could look in both directions. As a matter of fact, it got so bad that by the year 1582, the calendar was 11 days out of whack. And it took the Pope himself, Gregory XIII, to straighten it out. And he made a decree that October the 4th, 1582, will be followed by October 15th. There were riots in the street because the people said he's taking 11 days from our lives. And of course, the Protestant countries didn't obey him. This was after the Reformation. And so it took many, many more years before the Protestant nations of the world joined the Catholic nations to have the same calendar that we use today called the Gregorian calendar, after Pope Gregory. And to make sure that this mess will not be repeated, Gregory, or rather his astronomer, made the rule that there will not be a leap year every four years. And indeed, we do not have a leap year every four years. Every hundred years, we skip one. The year 1700 was not a leap year. 1800 was not a leap year. 1900 was not a leap year. But 2000 will be. 
because the Gregorian calendar says that if a century year is divisible by 400, then it'll be a leap year. Have you got all that? There'll be a quiz about this later. Even then, the calendar is not any good, and we have to add leap seconds. Maybe you didn't notice it on New Year's Eve when they dropped the ball. Not this year, but last year they said, hold it, one second. We have to put an extra second in. Now the year begins. God did a much better job of making the year than we did of keeping track of it. As a matter of fact, whoever said that January should be the beginning of the year? God himself said it should be a different month. In Exodus 12, 2, it says, God says that Abib should be the first month. Abib, in the Jewish calendar, is around April. And that makes a lot more sense because that's when the flowers are starting to bloom and it looks, it looks like a new year. It doesn't look very new outside at all. At least one thing we've done right with the calendar, and that is to remind everybody who uses it that we're counting our years from the time of the birth of Jesus Christ, A.D., Anno Domini, after God, the year of our Lord. And B.C. means before Christ. Now, there are some modern agnostics who don't like to use B.C., and in some modern history texts in school now, they use the term BCE, which means before the Christian era, because they don't want people to think that Jesus was even born. Now we're not really sure when he was born. Somebody decreed, this is 1 AD, but modern scholars now think that Jesus was born in 4 BC. <laughs> Enough of the confusion, we don't do a very good job of keeping track of what God made. And when he said in Psalm 90, verse 12, number your days, he wasn't really referring to the fact that we should make a good calendar. He was referring to how we live our lives. And he was referring to worshiping God aright. Now, I don't know if you saw the year-end issue of Time magazine. It's not very often that Time has a front cover without a picture of somebody on it. But the last issue of Time magazine for 1992 does not have a picture. Instead, it says in great big print what science tells us about God. This is an amazing thing that Time magazine, considered a rather liberal journal, should talk about God on the front page in the last issue. Not, it doesn't say, can science tell us anything about God? It says, what does science tell us about God? Number one, the headline says, science can tell us there is a God. And that's absolutely true. In every classroom in America, we ought to say, and I do in my science classes, that science teaches us that there is a God. As a matter of fact, in an issue before this one, Time Magazine said, only the fool today says in his heart there is no God. No scientist on earth worthy of his salt today, keeping up with modern science, can deny that the signs in the universe point to a creator. Only an idiot would say, quoting, that the universe got there by itself, if all its diversity of life. Scientists today are saying life is so complex 
that we're not going to get anywhere trying to make it artificially. Artificial advanced intelligence is a myth. One ant has more complexity in it than the most advanced Cray computer that the Defense Department uses. It is simply more complex than anything we can understand and to say that it got that way by itself is ridiculous scientifically. So to believe that there is a God is no longer difficult in this age of modern science. We're being told it on the front page of the leading weekly journal in America. It's good to read that whole article. It is very well written. But I don't want to dwell on that issue of Time Magazine. I want to get on with Psalm 90, verse 12. Numbering our days, first of all, we want to pay attention to the fact that the Lord says, the psalmist, uh, with the inspiration of God, says we should number our days aright. How do you do that? How do you num number something aright? What does he mean? Well, what follows tells us what he means. We should number our days in such a way that we will acquire a heart of wisdom. Now, what is a heart of wisdom? Nature can tell us there is a God, but only God's word can tell us what God is like and what he wants us to do. So let's look at some words from the Bible that tell us what a heart of wisdom is. First of all, in Job, we find a passage that we don't have to think too much about because it's obvious. Man's days have been decreed in number. The very number of our months has been decreed and there's a limit that cannot be exceeded. Now we know our days are numbering and they're coming to the end, but the fact that God has decreed the number of our days is something that needs emphasis. We think it's good fortune or bad fortune. We think it's this or it's that. Job 14.5 says man's days are determined. Now, fortunately, we can't read that determination, or we'd go crazy. We'd say we're now a day closer to the end. But let's go on to Psalm 39.4. Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. Young people are well known to be completely oblivious of the passage of time and the coming of the end. They live life, live life as though there is no end. Psalm 39 says, show me, O Lord, my life's end. That is the heart of wisdom. Then let's close, get closer to the hymn we just sang as the sermon hymn, Lo, how a rose air blooming. Isaiah 11.1 1 is the basis of the hymn we just sang. Isaiah said, through the inspiration of God, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Now, you can imagine the people at that time hearing Isaiah utter those words and say, what in the world is he talking about? Something is going to happen through a descendant of Jesse. And it goes on, from his, his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The person who wrote the hymn took that passage and made it into a hymn about a rose. Loha, a rose air blooming. 
Now that's a bit of an extension of what Isaiah said, but we have made it in tradition into a rose, that Jesus is the rose who came from the stump of Jesse. 700 years passed before that prophecy became fulfillment. And the people who believed in prophecy and who were inspired to uh, believe God's word waited for that. They waited and they waited till finally, as in our gospel, it tells us how the fulfillment came. And I'd like to just quote a few verses of today's gospel to show how meaningful it is as a fulfillment of the prophecy of which we sang in Lo, how a rose are blooming. In the beginning was the word that tells us first of all that Jesus was from the beginning. The teaching of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is not something that is only found in the New Testament. It is throughout scripture. Jesus was in the beginning. He was with God and he was God. Through him all things were made. You can't figure that out looking at nature. You have to read the Bible. Through Jesus, everything was made that was made. In him was life. And then it goes farther and says, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. It says you have to believe. You do not rationalize it out. You don't say, I can see that. You have to believe it and trust that God is going to give you that faith. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. Now, we all know that story of Simeon in the temple. When Jesus was brought to the temple, this aged man who had been waiting and counting his days, finally, by the inspiration of God, was able to see that this baby is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Now it is the same kind of faith that Simeon had that is required of all believers as we await Christ's second coming. The Bible certainly and often talks about Jesus and he himself says, I will come again. Is it tomorrow? Is it the next day? Is it next year? The Bible says no one will know the exact time, but what is definitely known is that he will come. Are we numbering our days in a way that is in anticipation of his coming? Or do we number our days to say that we've got to live for all that life is worth and get all the kicks we can because it's going to be over quick? Aren't most of the people who worry about getting older worried that all of life is almost gone instead of saying we're numbering our days to the day when life is really just going to begin? Do we as Christians show others that that's how to live? That when you get older you should look happier because you're almost there? How do you get a, wisdom, a heart of wisdom like that? And that's the final point I'd like to draw out of today's reading. Let's see it again. Lord, teach us to number our days. You cannot get a heart of wisdom by yourself. Lord, teach us to do this. You try to teach yourself a philosophy of life and you come up with some rather ridiculous things. There is a philosophy of life called solipsism. Maybe you never heard that word, but I read it in a book of philosophies 
101. And solipsism is the belief that only I exist. All this is my imagination, that you're sitting here and that any of this is happening. I can't prove that you're there. It's only something I'm imagining in my head. You say, well, that's ridiculous. Well, there are other philosophies that are made by human reasoning. There's another one called astrology, that our lives are governed by the influences of bodies out in space. We should do a whole sermon on this sometime because I spend a lot of time on this in class and I find that students and adults, no matter how young or old, are always shocked when I tell them that the horoscope they read in the newspaper is a month off. I can show you that in an astronomical chart. You're reading the wrong month. Now, I'm not going to tell you which the right one is or you're going to start reading that. I asked an astrologer once, why do you do that? And they said, well, you notice on what page the horoscopes are? I said, yeah, it's on the comic page. And the answer was, yes, it's a joke. A lot of people don't live like it's a joke. They govern their lives by it. It's an ungodly philosophy of life that we've made up ourselves. If Saturn influences your life, how about the planets that weren't discovered when they made this thing up that are bigger? How about the doctor who was next to you when you were delivered? His gravity should have influenced you too. It's nonsense. It's ungodly. How about New Age? Shirley MacLaine makes a lot of money selling New Age books. That's what we get to when we try to make up our own philosophy of life. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. And in the other way around, in Corinthians, it also says, the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. A heart of wisdom is a gift of God. You cannot decide to sit down and say, now I'm going to read this book and I'm going to get this wisdom. It has to be given to you by God. It says in Ephesians, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We can learn a lot from Solomon in this regard. It says in the Bible that Solomon was the smartest person who ever lived. How did he get that way? In 1 Kings, God tells Solomon, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Can you imagine God coming to you and telling you that? Ask me for anything that I can give you. What did Solomon say? Solomon answered, Lord, give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish right from wrong. What did God do? God answered, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. How smart did he get? It said the whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Now you'd think that this smartest man on earth would have lived a happy life. What did he forget to do? He forgot to keep 
asking God to keep that heart in him. The whole teaching that once you've got the secret of life, you're going to have it forever, is not a teaching from the Bible. You can lose it. You can lose it. It says, Solomon grew old and his wives turned his heart after other gods. And he died a miserable person. A miserable failure because he did not continue to ask God to keep that heart in him. Our son-in-law John keeps telling me when we talk about going to church and where he went, he lives in Baltimore, he says, Dad, it's never a sermon unless it ends with an action line. So I'm going to end with three action lines. I'm taping it so I can send it to him. <laughs> the first action line is, don't stop asking God for a heart of wisdom. Solomon did, and he died a failure. He died a heathen. There's another action line. Knowing it and having the heart of wisdom is not enough. The devil knows it too. The devil knows the Bible better than we do. He knows all the words of the gospel, but he doesn't live by it. Action is required. Knowing is not enough. And the third action line is, don't keep it to yourself. Don't keep it to yourself. When you think about it, it may be that the only reason we're still alive is that there is one other person somewhere who should be influenced by what we say or do before we die. You never know who is watching or listening. I had a former student, and this was in Honolulu not long ago, who came up and said, I had you in class 35 years ago, and there was one thing you said one day that I never forgot. Wow, wow, what did I say? I hope it was something good. You never know. You don't decide, now I'm going to really work on this one person, and that's going to make all the difference in the world. God decides whether it will do any good. It's up to us to get the word out. It may be just the way we look. Somebody will look at us and say, how come that person looks so happy? I can't stand it. <laughs> Why am I not happy? Nero, it is said, used to look at the people he had crucified, the Christians, and saw that they had smiles on their faces. And he came back and he said, I can't stand it. He went crazy. Why are they happy? I'm killing them. I'm the emperor. They were Christians. He was not. So how should we enter the new year? Worry about getting older? You know what that does. It makes you look still older. <laughs> Stop counting the days? It's better than the alternative, you know. <laughs> when somebody says, oh, you look old, well, it's better than not being here, you know. Count our blessings, one song says, instead of sheep. And as Christians, what blessings God has given us. Give God the glory for getting older. Give God glory for the blessings we enjoy in this land as Christians for the gift of Jesus Christ. And let's thank God for the time we have left in which to be blessings to others. May God grant it. 
In Jesus' name, amen.